podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Tuesday, the 13th of December, marching towards Christmas, though not marching very far or very quickly in that cold. Um, How are you all today? It is a dull Tuesday, a cold Tuesday. The fog is setting back in. I can't see over my back fence. I hope it's warmer where you are. Today is the day that the World Cup semifinals begin. And as we know, the first World Cup semi-final will see Croatia looking to make their second successive World Cup final against Argentina and Lionel Messi, hoping to fulfill 
the dream to complete football, to have won it all. Argentina made the final in 2014. I think if Messi gets to a second final, well, it's not the same as winning one, obviously. It would be a hell of an achievement considering the talent they have around them. And we know that if Croatia get there, everybody will laud them, and rightly so. But it's worth pointing out, this is not a vintage Argentina team. The goalkeeper is good. The right back is good. One of the centre-backs is good. The other centre-backs aren't particularly good. The left-back's not particularly good. None of the left-backs in the squad are particularly good. The midfield is fairly strong. But outside of Messi, would you really take any of that attack? He's at a talent disadvantage here. And I think if Messi gets this team to a World Cup final, especially given the fact they lost to Saudi Arabia in the opening game, it would be worth considering this as a great achievement for Messi. Now, obviously, he needs to win it to get the real acclaim. But in a one-off game, would you back against him, even if France are a more talented team? I'm not sure I would. If France get to the final and play the way they did against England, I think I'd back Argentina to beat them. It might not even be France. I mean, are we going to write off Morocco? I I don't think we can. They just they just find ways to win. So these World Cup semi-finals are really exciting. I think most of the world will support Morocco. Any country that's been colonized will likely support Morocco. We know that The Arab world will back Morocco. We know that Muslims across the globe will back Morocco. And I think most of Africa will get behind Morocco as well because this is the first time an African team has made a World Cup semi-final. It is a great achievement, not just for Morocco, but for African football in general. So these semi-finals are going to be fun. And the game tonight, Croatia-Argentina, I don't think there'll be a ton of goals. But I do think it's going to be a good game. I think the battle is won and lost in midfield. Kovacic, Brozovic and Modric versus DePaul, Fernandez, and McAllister. I think that's where this game is won and lost. Let's move on. The championship is back. They had their first round of games since the break at the weekend. Now, there was one game played on December 3rd, if anybody noticed, uh, Sunderland beat Millwall 3-0. Ahmed Diallo, Alex Pritchard and Ella Sims got the goal. That was a game they were trying to make up that had been cancelled earlier on in the year, uh, back in week 9. This was week 22 of the 46-week championship season. Blackburn Rovers won. Preston North End 4. Ben Woodburn opened the scoring. Chris Evans made, sorry, Chet Evans made it 2-0. Uh, Bradley Dack got Blackburn back into it, but a second from Evans and Ben Whiteman gave Preston a comprehensive away win against the team that are in the mix for promotion. Rotherham won Bristol City 3. Wes Harding own goal put Bristol 1-up. Ogbene Equalized for Rotherham on 25, but Joe Williams and then Cameron Pring gave Bristol a good away win. Reading beat Coventry 1-0 at home. Amadou Salif 
Mabenge with the only goal of the game. Good win for Reading, whose form has been a little bit questionable over the last couple of months. Millwall won, Wigan won. Will Keane open the scoring for Wigan, but Zeon Fleming. Zeon? Zeon? Zeon Fleming with the equaliser. So for Millwall, good to get back on track after the defeat over, or the defeat by Sunderland. Swansea nil, Norwich City won. Timu Puki with the only goal of the game in the first minute. I'd say it was just a belter of a game from there. Uh, Middlesbrough 2, Luton 1. Jordan Clark put Luton 1 up, but Chupa Akpom equalised five minutes later, and Matt Crooks scored a late goal to give Borough a win. Amari Bell had been sent off for Luton, and that allowed Borough to just ram home the advantage. Borough dominated the game, it must be said. Uh, Moving on then, Blackpool 0, Birmingham 0. Sure, that was lovely in the cold. Uh, Stoke City 2, Cardiff 2. Ryan Wintle opened the scoring for Cardiff. Tyrese Campbell equalised on 11 minutes. Liam Delap put Stoke 2-1 up on 18 minutes. But Callum Robinson scored on 58 to make it a draw. And that's how it stayed. Sheffield United 1, Huddersfield 0. Billy Sharp goal, the only... Goal of the game, QPR nil, Burnley three. Johan Berg-Goodmanson, Ian Matson, and Nathan Tello with the goals. Burnley look like they're destined for Premier League football again. Watford nil, Hull City nil. Looks like a pulsating draw. And Sunderland won West Brom two. Really good win for West Brom. Uh, Ahmed Diallo opened the scoring from the penalty spot for Sunderland. But Tom Rogic... And Daryl Dyke, good to see him back fit and scoring, gave West Brom the win. The league table looks as follows. Burnley at top, three points clear of Sheffield United. There's then a five-point gap to Blackburn, who have 36 points. Norwich of 35, Watford and Preston have 34. Preston would be the surprise package in the championship this year for my money. Then we've got Millwall on 32 points, level with Reading, also 32 points. Uh, Reading getting back-to-back draws, having had a poor run of form before that. QPR are ninth, but they're in dreadful form. They've lost their last four. They're They're without a win in the last five. Michael Beale, obviously, having talked a lot of talk about loyalty and commitment, bounced to head to Rangers, Neil Critchley to be the new manager of QPR. Uh, Level with QPR on 31 points in 10th place is Swansea. Sunderland have 30 points. They're 11th. That's really good for a newly promoted team to be in the top half. After the disastrous start of the season, when they obviously sacked Chris Wilder, Middlesbrough have really turned things around. They're now 12th. Four wins from five, unbeaten in five, and marching up the table. And they will be looking at it and thinking, we're only four points off the playoff positions right now. Luton are 13th with 30 points. Birmingham are 14th with 29 points. All 14 teams have played 22 games. Then we have Coventry on 29 points. They've played 20 games. 
Bristol City are next, 27 points. Then West Brom, four wins in a row. The change of manager has really worked there. They're on 26. Rotherham in 18th on 26. Stoke in 19th on 26. Cardiff 20th on 25. Hull 21st on 25. Wigan have 24 points. Blackpool have 23 points. And Huddersfield at bottom of the table on 19 points. So Coventry have two games in hand, and those games in hand are against West Brom and Huddersfield. And once those games get played, everybody will have played the same number of games. They're the only outstanding games left to be caught up. But the championship, as you can see, is super tight. Seven points between Blackburn in third and Coventry in 15th. And Coventry have two games in hand. It's really, really tight. There's only 10 points, sorry, 11 points between Blackburn, who are third, and, sorry, I'm wrong, 12 points between Blackburn, who are third, and Wigan, who are 22nd in the relegation zone. 12 points. Considering there are eight points between Blackburn and Burnley, who are third and first, it goes to show you how tight this league is. But Burnley look like the class of the division. Only two defeats, 43 goals scored, the most in the division by a considerable margin. Sheffield United with the best defensive record, only 19 goals conceded from their 23 games. So you've got two teams going for promotion, but built differently. One is built to be strong defensively, and one is built to be strong going forward. And considering... The type of football we got used to from those teams with Chris Wilder at Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United and Sean Dyche at Burnley, things have flipped right in the head. Vincent Company, let's give him his flowers. He has really turned Burnley around. And, you know, you've got to give some credit to the owners as well. I think there was a, a very ambitious backing of a new manager in the summer. I think going and getting company was outside of the box thinking. They obviously sold a number of players. They sold Nick Pope. They sold Nathan Collins for big money. They sold Dwight McNeil for big money. And they sold Max Cornet for big money. They lost some important players, though, on free transfers in the form of Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky. But to turn around and do what they've done is very impressive. Uh, Scott Twine brought in from Milton Keynes for $4 million. Luke McNally from Oxford for $2 million. C.J. Egan Riley from Manchester City for 350000 Samuel Bastian from Standard Liège for 685000 Josh Cullen from Andelect for $3 million. Arianette Muric from Manchester City for $3 million. Vitinho from Circle Bruges for an undisclosed fee believed to be about $2 million. Manuel Benson from Antwerp for $3 million. Darko Churlinov from... Stuttgart for 4.25. Anis Zarari from Charleroi. Charleroi? Charleroi. For 3.5. And then a bunch of loans. Uh, Taylor Howard Bellis from City. Ian Matson from Chelsea. Nathan Teller from Southampton. Jordan Bayer from Borussia Mönchengladbach. And Halil Dervis Oglu. I've butchered that. From Brentford. Um... Point being, they've shopped outside the UK. Like they've brought in 
UK-based players. They've brought in homegrown players, but they have gone outside the UK. Obviously, a big focus on Belgium, given the company links. But I really do think they've just done an exceptionally good job at turning their squad over in a very quick time. And I think they had to do it. It had to be done. It had to be done done aggressively and ambitiously. And it was. And then you've got to also give credit to Paul Heckenbottom and the job he's doing at Sheffield United. Uh, in the summer, they didn't do a whole lot. They kept what they had for the most part. They sold Ollie Burks to Werder Bremen. Ollie Burke to Werder Bremen, rather. Uh, David McGoldrick left. Lise Mousset left. They brought in Tommy Doyle from Man City, Kieran Clark from Newcastle, Rita Kadra from Brighton, and James McAtee from City on loan. But the only signing was Ahmed Hozic, who arrived in from Malmo for about three and a half million. So they didn't spend big money. They weren't aggressive. They backed what they had. They backed some of the younger players they have there. They're still heavily reliant on some of the players that were there when they came up the last time, but it is what it is. There's a lot of talent in that squad, though. Now, they won't get to keep Doyle or McAtee. Those two are particularly talented. But Illamen Enjoy, really, really good. If Rian Brewster could ever get himself sorted, he's exactly what they need to give them that last final push. But defensively, they've been so strong that you really have to admire how well they've they've planned their season. Uh, moving on then to League One. Shrewsbury 3, Bolton 2. Ipswich 2, Peterborough 1. Connor Chaplin with two goals there for, for Ipswich. Burton 1, Derby County 1. Forest Green 1, Cheltenham 0. Exeter City 1, Sheffield United, sorry, Sheffield Wednesday 1. Lincoln nil, Wickham nil. Morecambe versus Charlton and Accrington Stanley versus Portsmouth were both postponed. MK Dons won, Fleetwood Town two. Cambridge nil, Plymouth nil. Oxford United versus Barnsley also postponed. And then Bristol Rovers won, Port Vale nil. So Ipswich are top. Kieran McKenna is doing an immense job having taken over in the summer. Uh, Plymouth are second. Sheffield Wednesday third, three points separating the top three. Then there's a big drop, nine-point drop to Barnsley. Now, Barnsley do have two games in hand. The top three have played 21. They've played 19. It's a bit more jumbled in the championship, in the in League One, rather, in terms of games played. Bolton are fifth, 32 points, 20 games played. Then it is Peterborough, but they've lost four in a row. They're losing ground rapidly, 31 points from 21 games. Derby, 31 points from 20 games. Unbeaten in five, but only one win in those five. Portsmouth are next. They've only played 18 games. They have 29 points. So win their games in hand, and they can move back up into those promotion spots. Then it's Wickham. They've got 29 from 21. Shrewsbury the same. Port Vale the same. Then Bristol have 28 from 21. They're 12th, so right around mid-table. Uh, Exeter have 27 from 21. Lincoln have 27 from 20. 
Fleetwood of 26 from 21, Oxford 25 from 20, Cheltenham 25 from 20, Charlton 24 from 20. They'll be really disappointed with how their season's going. Accrington 21 from 20, Cambridge 21 from 21, Forest Green 20 from 21, Burton have 16 from 21. So there's a four-point gap between Burton and Forest Green. Now, I'm almost certain it's four teams that get relegated here. I'm almost certain of that. Let me just check that to be certain. But I, I'm pretty certain it is four teams to be relegated. Yes, it is four teams to be relegated. So some panic stations, I'd imagine, for Burton, MK Dons, and Morecambe, who have 16, 15, and 15 respectively. Now, Morecambe and MK Dons have a game in hand. But you're five points off safety if you're Burton. You're six points off safety if you're the other two. You've got to start turning things around. You're almost halfway through the season. Um, Let's jump to League Two. Five games were postponed here. Harrogate Town, Northampton Town, Carlisle, Barrow. Crew Alexandra versus Leighton Orient. Rochdale versus Stockport. And Gillingham versus Bradford. Those games were all postponed. Crawley nil, Hartlepool 2. Grimsby 2, Tranmere 1. Newport nil, Doncaster 1. Swindon nil, AFC Wimbledon nil. Stevenage nil, Mansfield nil. Sutton United 1, Colchester nil. Leighton Orient are top on 48 points. Four clear of Stevenage and they have a game in hand. So Leighton Orient in a very strong position in League Two. Stevenage then second, 44 points, 21 games played for them. Then it's Northampton, five points behind, but do have a game in hand. Barrow, another five points back. Remember, three three promoted teams automatically here, plus a playoff. So right now, Leighton Orient with a 14-point lead over Barrow look really, really good for promotion. Outstanding defensive record. Only 12 goals conceded in 20 games. Stevenage, good defensive record. 16 conceded in 21 games. It's good to see strong defensive football starting to filter through in the lower leagues again. Because oftentimes the only way to get out of those leagues was to just blast your way out and try and average three goals a game. Now we're seeing teams able to manage games a bit better and, and get better results as a as a result. Um, yeah, so Barrow and Mansfield, they're fourth and fifth. Both of them have 34 points, though Mansfield have played a game more. Carlisle are sixth, 33 points. Bradford, seventh, 33 points. Four playoff teams here, so Barrow, Mansfield, Carlisle, and Bradford. Swindon are an eight. Shout out to Paul Sterrett, 32 points from 21 games, so they've played a game more than Carlisle or Bradford. Also played a game more than Salford, who have 31 points from 20 played, sitting in ninth. Nobody wants to see Gary Neville's team get promoted, though. Doncaster up next, 31 points from 21 games. Walsall, 30 from 20. AFC Wimbledon, 30 from 21. Stockport, 28 from 20. Grimsby, 27 from 20. Tranmere, 27 from 21. Sutton, 26 from 21. Crew Alexandra in 17th, 25 from 19. So a couple of games in hand to get themselves back in the mix. Then there's a drop 
three-point drop to Newport, who have 22 from 21. Um, Crawley have 21 from 21. Harrogate have 19 from 20. Rochdale, 15 from 20. Hartlepool, 15 from 21. Colchester, 14 from 21. And Gillingham, 14 from 20. There will be two teams relegated to the National League at the end of this season. And as things stand, Gillingham and Colchester are in those spots. But Colchester do have a game in hand on Rochdale. But the four at the bottom, Rochdale, Hartlepool, Colchester and Gillingham, they've got to try and close that gap on Harrogate. It's a four-point gap to Harrogate and a six-point gap to Crawley. You don't want to let that gap get much bigger. Now, if you're in that mix and your things are still tight, you'll always have a chance to get out of it, but still. At least it's four for two spots and not three for two spots or just two for two spots. The gap, again, like with all of these divisions, it's so, so tight. Like I said, Crew Alexandra, 17 to 25 points from 19 games. But win those two games in hand and all of a sudden you're on 31 points and you could very well be sitting in ninth or 10th. Um, this league is very tight. Late Orient look like they're going to run away with one of the promotion spots. I think Stevenage looked very good for promotion spot. And Northampton, if they can keep their form up, they should take the third. Barrow's issue is they lose far too many games. They've lost eight games, whereas the teams above them have lost two, three, and three. The teams below them, seven, three, five, five, and seven. In the top half, only one team has lost as many games as them. That's Doncaster. But no one's lost more games. The only teams that have lost more games are the bottom seven. So, sorry, and Sutton. Sutton have lost nine. So you've got to sort that out. You've got to become a little bit tougher to beat. But we're seeing this a bit more. This is a bit of a trend at the moment in the lower leagues where teams either win or lose and and don't do draws. Is there a team like that in the championship? There is. Peterborough. Ten wins, one draw, ten defeats. That's That's not great. Uh, the, the the good defensive team, by the way, if you're wondering, in the championship is currently Barnsley. Only 16 goals conceded from 19 games. The no draws uh, philosophy carries on in the championship with Blackburn. They're even more extreme. 22 games, 12 wins, no draws, 10 defeats. Reading, 22 games, 10 wins, 2 draws. 10 defeats. It's an unusual anomaly. But like I say, maybe there's something in it because Blackburn are currently third. Reading, who are managed by Paul Ince, so at a disadvantage, they're in eighth. Now the defensive record for both teams is in the negatives. Actually, what about Peterborough at least have a plus nine Goal difference. And in League 2. Barrels is 3. Is plus 3. So it's not too bad. Um, You always want to try and have a. You've got to have a positive goal differential. That's got to be your first port of call. So Blackburn need to get their act together. Um, Right. We'll take a break. Oh, before we go to break, before we go to break, 
I wanted to talk about this yesterday and I'm kind of waiting to see what more comes out about it. Because there's obviously in the in the Grant Wall passed away at the weekend. And Grant Wall was the preeminent US journalist on football, having worked for Sports Illustrated for a long, long time. He'd worked for CBS, he'd worked for Fox. He'd been working for himself the last couple of years. Uh, he set up a Substack and was doing it. He had his own podcast, which was very successful. And he passed away at the weekend, aged 49. He had just covered the Argentina-Netherlands game and collapsed in the press box. Local paramedics responded and three- treated him for 30 minutes, including CPR before he was transported to the hospital. Now, I found it strange that he was brought to the hospital apparently in an Uber, which seems a little bit odd, but however. His brother, in the immediate aftermath of his passing, made some statements on Instagram. Now, his brother was hysterical and obviously incredibly upset by what had happened and the news he'd just received. But Grant Wall, as we know, had been in the news of late because of his outspoken coverage of this World Cup, because of the fact that he attended a game wearing a T-shirt with a rainbow on it, was denied admission. They tried to detain him. He had a bit of an argument with them. Eventually, I think he got in and everything was was what it was. But he did receive some death threats afterwards. Now, I'm not saying at all that there's any foul play here. But his body was repatriated to the US yesterday and is to undergo a full autopsy. He had been treated in the last couple of days for bronchitis and he spoke about that in his last podcast. He felt some chest discomfort and was told it was probably bronchitis. He was given cough syrup and antibiotics. We we must wait and see what happens. There Obviously the, the talk of death threats means um, that you know it's worth investigating but my hope is that there's no foul play here. It's a tragedy that this man has passed away. He had done more to shine a light on the game of football in America than any single person or event since the 1994 World Cup. I didn't always agree with his views on things. In fact, I quite often disagreed with them. And what I really liked about him was you could tell him you thought his take was bad and he would discuss it with you. And the one thing I've noticed a lot of people say is what a nice guy this was and how far out of his own way he went to help people. And I remember years ago when when football Twitter was a good place to talk to people and you could have, you know, real discussions without all these young morons jumping in with stupid views. And people like Grant were very open to responding to anybody who got in touch and you could chat to them for ages and I remember I had more than more than a dozen direct message conversations with him over the years um which I have lost because I don't have access to that account anymore because it got suspended and if it ever gets unsuspended I hope the dms are still there so I can go back and read through them but what I always found found good with Grant was that you could disagree with him he would explain his point of view to you but he would be open to changing his mind if he was given a good case for an alternative view. And I thought that 
was something from somebody of his stature with his, you know, his profile and his reputation and the amount of followers he has. That's unusual because you'll see a lot of journalists now, far less talented journalists, who just aren't open to any sort of correction or criticism at all. And I remember reading a piece of his and without realizing he'd been, he was tagged in it. I suggested, I thought the piece wasn't very good. I didn't swear. I think I wasn't rude about it. And he DM me immediately and asked me what I didn't like. And we went back and forth on it for a couple of hours. And I could see the point of what he was trying to make. I just didn't agree with it. And he was very happy to receive constructive criticism. And that's not often the case with journalists. So when we lose somebody in the football community who has done as much as he had, who had the profile he had, and was as open to talking through ideas. And I remember randomly DMing him an idea about something one day. And it was just like, it was something stupid. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something that like, I thought "I'm, I'm just looking for a yes or no answer here. And I got a long, detailed reply with his thoughts on everything surrounding what I was putting forward. And I thought the fact that he's, you know, taking the time to A, read the message, B, reply the message, but C, actually think about what I've asked him here and give me real in-depth viewpoints on it. It just, it shows the difference between someone like him who had a real love for the game And many of these other journalists who are journalists because they're failed English teachers or whatever the case may be, or because they want to go to games for free, and they don't really care about it. He cared. And it's a a tragic loss. And, you know, your your heart goes out to his wife and to his family. We've lost a good one, you know, regardless of whether you agreed with his views or not. We've lost a good one someone that was a good person. And if you're looking for a book to buy for yourself or for someone else in time for Christmas, can I suggest the Beckham experiment, which is an absolutely outstanding book. Now it may not be available at all good booksellers because it it's quite old and it has probably sold out in a lot of places, but it is a brilliant book about David Beckham going to America and what the purpose of MLS bringing in Beckham was. He's also written a couple of other books, including Football 2.0 and a book called Masters of Modern Modern Soccer, um, which are also good reads. So I would recommend reading his work. Um, and if you're if you're interested in college basketball or even high school basketball, the, the incredible thing about him was not only did he become one of the preeminent football journalists in the world, he could have been the preeminent college basketball writer he was that good that that highly regarded he is the guy that wrote the piece about lebron james that ended up on the front cover of sports illustrated when lebron was a teenager um he's had many iconic sports illustrated cover stories so i would i would recommend going and reading his work even if you wanted to do a one month subscription to his substack you know, and cancel it after that and read his work there, read what he was saying about the World Cup. And also the money can go towards, you know, helping his family and stuff. So um, Grant Wall, rest in peace. Um, Again, I just hope there was nothing untoward and that it was just a very, very unfortunate natural cause. We'll be back after the break.
Right, welcome back. One last bit on Grant Wall, just to show you the measure of the man. Uh, he went to work for Sports Illustrated in 1996. He was fired by Sports Illustrated in 2020 when, in the midst of the pandemic, Sports Illustrated decided to cut pay for many of their low-level staffers. And Grant Wall, one of their preeminent columnists, spoke out about it and was critical of them, of Maven, who are the owners of Sports Illustrated, of the CEO of Maven. He stood up for the people that he viewed as lifting him up, the people that did the work that's unseen, the people that don't get the byline. He stood up for them, and it cost him his job, a job he'd held for 24 years. And uh, I think that goes to show the measure of the man. And um, James Heckman, if you ever hear this, stick it up your arse. Um, right. We're going to talk about Nottingham Forest because this is the strangest team in the division. What a summer. What a summer. Awaniyi, Bianconi, Niakata, Richards, Nico Williams, Wayne Hennessy, Aguilera, Tafolo, O'Brien, Lingard, Mangala, Dennis, Coyate, Froiler, Gibbs White, Ujo. Willie Bolly, James Bowler, Serge Aurier, Adnan Kunarich. All of those players arrived on permanent transfers in January. A couple of them were loaned out, obviously, but all of them were signed. Also signed on loan, Dean Henderson, Renan Lodi, and Loic Bade. Ahead of the January transfer window, they have signed Gustavo Scarpa, who's a very good player from Palmieri's on a free transfer. They got rid of loads of players. Loads of players. I'm not going to get through them all because, geez, we'd be here all day. But they basically turned their entire squad over in one go. The players remaining from last season. Jordan Smith, who came through their academy. Joe Worrell who came through their academy. Steve Cook, who they signed in January. Loic Mbay So, signed in 2020. Scott McKenna, signed in 2020. Jack Colbeck, signed in 2020. Cafu, signed in 2020. Ryan Yates, who came through their academy. And Brennan Johnson, who came through their academy. And Sam Surich, who arrived in January. Oh, and Lyle Taylor, who signed in 2020. Like, they turned over the vast majority of their squad and left themselves with largely just the few academy graduates and a couple of lads that were signed in January. And Steve Cooper was asked to basically build an aeroplane while flying said aeroplane at the same time. They started off with a 2-0 defeat away to Newcastle. Bad results. They beat West Ham 1-0 at home. Taiwani with the only goal of the game. They got a draw away to Everton. Brennan Johnson put them one up. Damari Gray equalised for Everton. Then they had a bad run. They lost five games in a row. They lost to Tottenham at home. They got hammered away by City. They got 
beaten 3-2 by Bournemouth, having been 2-0 up. They lost 3-2 to Fulham, having been 1-0 up. Both of those games were home. They were very disappointing results. The other ones, Newcastle, Tottenham, City, they're understandable. They got walloped 4-0 by a bad Leicester team who have since turned the season around, but at that point were a bad Leicester team. And it looked like Steve Cooper was going to get sacked. There was talk that they were looking at other managers, that they had held talks with Sean Dyche and a couple of others. And instead, they gave Steve Cooper a new contract. And since then, they've turned things around. They drew 1-1 with Aston Villa. Emmanuel Dennis scored the goal to put them one up. Ashley Young equalised. They lost 1-0 away to Wolves, but they put on a good performance and were a little bit unfortunate to lose that game. They got a good 0-0 draw away to Brighton. They got a great 1-0 home win over Liverpool, a 1-E with the only goal of the game. Then they got walloped by Arsenal, but Arsenal are going well. Then they drew 2-2 at home with Brentford, which is a solid result. And the manner of it was impressive. They went one up, fell 2-1 behind, but fought back and fought back and eventually got their equaliser in the 96th minute. Then they beat Crystal Palace 1-0 through a Morgan Gibbs-White goal. So, to the first nine games, he took four points. But since then, they've taken nine points from six games. Sorry, seven games. And if they can keep that up, sorry, it was it was four points from eight games. Yeah, four points from eight games and nine from seven. If they can keep that up, that will keep them in the division. If they can continue to pick up results, to win home games, to be tough to beat, to draw and scrape and fight and claw and do whatever you need to do to get some away points. They're still going well in the EFL Cup. They beat Grimsby 3-0, Yates and two from Sam Surich. They beat Tottenham, Redden, Lodi and Jesse Lingard. They'll get Blackburn next. It's away. Blackburn are going okay in the championship. It's, you know, probably a coin toss game. They've got Blackpool in the FA Cup. As things stand, their biggest issue is they're not scoring enough goals. Now, defensively, they haven't been good enough. They've been walloped three times. City, Leicester, and Arsenal. But if you take out the goals conceded in those games, that's 15 goals conceded in three games. They've only conceded 15 in the other 12. And that's a decent defensive pace for a newly promoted team. They've only scored 11 goals. And only, I think, Wolves have scored less. I think it's, the le- it's level with Everton. In the league, Awani has three, O'Brien has one, Johnson has two, Koyate has one, Dennis has one. They need someone to really step up in terms of scoring goals. They've got the players. Awani can get goals. Dennis can get goals. Brennan Johnson can get goals. But it feels to me like Steve Cooper needs to be a little bit braver. And I've talked about the fact that he continually played Steve Cook. And when he dropped Steve Cook, Forrest improved. And I think he's got to continue to leave Steve Cook out of the team. I also think he needs to continue to leave Jesse Lingard out of the team. I think if Jesse Lingard was really going to pop for you, it was going to be the first half of the season trying to win a place in the England squad. And he didn't. And in fact, he was very, very disappointing. 
So I think they've got to figure out a way to get Jesse Lingard out the door. Maybe, maybe they just find a, find him a new club in January. Maybe he's just a squad player the rest of the way, but he hasn't worked out as a signing. But there is a team here waiting to be put together. Now, I think Steve Cook, Steve Cooper needs to go back to playing the back three that got them into the Premier League. Dean Henderson, as a goalkeeper, is a fine goalkeeper. He's not brilliant, he's not world-class, but he's a good goalkeeper. At centre-back, I think the best options they have in the wide areas are Loic Bidet, who I think has got to get minutes, hasn't featured for them yet, and I don't really understand why that is. Is it a fitness thing? That's the only thing I can really understand is that he's not maybe not fully fit. But he's got to play because he's really good. And they have an option to buy him, and I think that's an option they should be taking up. Renan Lodi is a wing-back, and he suits playing left wing-back just as Nico Williams suits playing right wing-back. So a back three is the best fit for them. And Bidet is the best option on the right of that back three. I think the best option on the left of that back three is probably going to be Musa Niakate when he's fit. Because I think he's a good player. Now, how long it's going to take him to get back, I don't know. But when he's back, I think he's the best fit on the left. And that leaves the middle role. And it leaves Joe Worrell or Scott McKenna. Worrell is the club captain. Worrell is a good talker. But McKenna might just be a little bit of a better Premier League player. But either way, it's two good options for one role. But that, as a back five, Williams, Bidet, Worrell or McKenna, Niakata and Lodi, that's a good backline in front of a good goalkeeper. In midfield, for me, Mangala and Freuler are the two best midfielders at the club. And I think they have to be the pairing. Now, there's a lot to be said for playing Ryan Yates because you do get that extra bit of fight and narrow and a bit, a bit of power because he's, you know, he's a big, big lad. So I can see an argument for playing him. I think Lewis O'Brien has impressed when given minutes. So I think you've got four good midfielders for two roles. I think Mangala's ball winning and protection of the defence is vital. And Freuler as a schemer, as someone that can plot things for you, I just think he holds more benefit than Yates does. But I can see the argument for Yates. But either way, it's a strong, strong group. The number 10 spot belongs to Morgan Gibbs-White, but Scarpa is going to make a case for it. Now, I would stick with Gibbs-White behind two strikers. And in attack, you've got Awani, you've got Johnson, you've got Dennis, you've got to figure out who the two best are. Who are the two that fit best together? It may well be that it's Johnson and Dennis and that Awani is just an option off the bench. And if he is, he could be lethal in that role. Can you imagine bringing on that big, quick, powerful, rumbling ball of mass destruction against tired Premier League defences? who've just spent 65, 70 minutes chasing Brennan Johnson and Emmanuel Dennis around. I, If I was Forrest, I wouldn't be buying 
anybody in this January window. I wouldn't buy anybody. Because I think you've got a team there that just needs to be played. I think you've got an 11 that's more than good enough. And I think there's enough depth in, let's say Worrell starts. So you've got McKenna as the backup in the the central and left-sided centre-back roles. Now, being Coney's injury is very unfortunate because he would have been the backup in the right side of the role. But Worrell can play there as well, if need be. And even though he's left-footed, Neocanthic could probably do a job. Mabeso, I think, is a talented young defender. Came through the PSG Academy. You could try him there and see what he can offer you. You've got Aurier to back up Williams. You've got Tofolo and the fellow they brought in from Bayern Munich, Omar Richards as the backups to Ren and Lodi. So you're good to go there. Midfield, we've just mentioned, Lewis O'Brien, Ryan Yates. Oh, Czech Coyote. Czech Coyote can be the backup to uh, Loic Bede, as can Willie Bolly. To be fair, you've got more than enough there in defence. You've got more than enough in central midfield. Mangala, Froiler, Yates, and O'Brien. Cafu can play if you need him to. He's decent. Koyate can play if you need him to. Colbeck, or Colbeck can play if you need him to. Then you've got backups to the 10 in Scarpa and Lingard. So again, you don't need to do anything. And I think up front, you're fine. You've got Brennan Johnson. You've got Dennis. You've got Awani. And you've got Sam Surridge, who's a good player. I would not buy a single other player if I was them, I would be focused solely on getting this team playing as a team, getting 11 lads together on a pitch regularly with a good group of depth behind them. You've got talent in every single position. Is it top half talent? Not in every role, but in a lot of roles, absolutely. Absolutely, it's top half talent in a lot of roles. And I think your manager is a top half talent as well. I just think he needs to be a little bit braver. I think he needs to stop relying on the likes of Steve Cook and the likes of Jesse Lingard. And I know they thought it was a coup to get him, but it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. He has not performed well. Now, look, if he comes back firing after the break and he looks like he's going to, maybe he can have a squad role, but I would be committing to Gibbs White behind. I'd try Johnson and Dennis as a two and see how that looks. But I think there's loads of talent here. And I think think there's absolutely more than enough talent to stay up. Just don't go and buy a bunch more players. Run with what you have. Remember, at the bottom of the league, yes, they currently sit 18th. They're only a point behind West Ham and Everton. A point behind West Ham and Everton. They're two points behind Leeds. They're three points behind Bournemouth. And if I had to bet my house, I'd bet it on Forrest to stay up over Bournemouth. They're only four points behind Leicester. And remember how badly Leicester started the season. And look how they've turned things around. They're five points behind Villa. 
They're only six points off mid-table. Now, I would bet on Wolves and Southampton to improve after the the break as well. So I do think we're going to see an uptick from them. But I think Forrest can take a jump as well. And if I look up the, ta- the table, I do see some teams I don't trust to stay where they are. So I think Forrest, I've been saying it since the summer, I think they're going to be okay. But they can't, can't, can't bring in any more players. Build a team with what you've got. There's enough talent there. It's not even debatable. Uh, we have breaking news. Bournemouth have been sold. Uh, Maxine Denham has brought his tenure at the club to an end. And it looks like Bill Foley is the new owner. He has issued a message for the club. I have tremendous respect for the passion and support of the Bournemouth, sorry, the Bournemouth community shows for this club and believe that connection to the community is the foundation for success of any sports team. Bill Foley is the new owner of Bournemouth and one of the part owners is actor Michael B. Jordan. Uh, famous of Creed and obviously was in the Black Panther movie as well. An absolutely tremendous actor. For the old school among you, we know him from The Wire. That's where he made his name. He was outstanding in The Wire. Um, So, yeah. Bournemouth's deal has gone through. And um, that's good to see. 100 over 100 million. Um, Bill Foley leads the, the consortium. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is part, Nula Sarker is part, and I don't know if anyone else. Um, if you don't know who Bill Foley is, he owns the Las Vegas Golden Knights, they are the uh, the ice hockey team based in Vegas, and they've had a pretty good run so far under Bill, Bill Foley. Um, I think Maxime Denham is somebody that the Bournemouth fans should be incredibly grateful to because it was when he bought the club in 2011. That's when they really started to to take off. And that's where that club went from being a non-factor in the lower leagues of the divisions of English football to becoming a Premier League team the first time round and maintaining that Premier League status and obviously going down, coming back up. He has put his money where his mouth was and he has backed them to the hilt. He backed Eddie Howe heavily. Um, he hasn't spent a huge amount this time coming up, but they, they made some moves in the summer. Um, he was not one targeted by the uh, UK government when the sanctions against Russia began because he has become a UK citizen. He's committed to the UK. You know, he spent a fortune on a big house in Dorset and just decided that he was going to make himself at home. He's done a great job with Bournemouth and he sells on a much better club than he bought. And that's what you ask of any owner. Any owner is nothing more than a custodian. The job of a custodian is to maintain and improve and he has maintained and improved Bournemouth Football Club massively um, here's a good one 
Harry Maguire can be a great player for Manchester United if he can reproduce his England form with his club, says Eric Ten Hag. Uh, number of problems here. Number one, you don't play in any way similar to what Gareth Southgate does. Number two, the Premier League is a much higher standard of football than what we've seen in the World Cup. And number three, Harry Maguire just isn't that good. And his England form is a bit of a myth, if we're all being honest. So, um, yeah, I, I dare you to play him. Go on. Put him in the team and leave him in the team and see what happens. You see what happens. You're playing a midget over him. Let's see what happens. We'll do the gossip and we'll be out for today. Arsenal have become favourites to sign Joe Felix. No, they haven't. They don't have the money. There is a good chance Arsenal will be able to sign Michael Mudrick for less than the 86 million Shakhtar Donetsk previously wanted. That is David Ornstein reporting that. He doesn't say how much less. Is it 70 million? Is it 60 million? Is it 40? Is it the 30 that was you know mentioned in the summer? I'd imagine it's still fairly high. Liverpool have an agreement in principle with Benfica to sign Argentine midfielder Enzo Fernandez. You have no idea, no idea how much I want this to be true. Fernandez is an alternative for Real Madrid if they cannot sign Jude Bellingham. Uh, Liverpool want to sign both of them, so we'll see what happens. The Football Association want Gareth Southgate to continue as manager despite gauging the interest of Thomas Tuchel. Okay. The FA will consider foreign candidates if Southgate steps down. They should uh, ignore Jamie Carragher. They should consider foreign managers. The FA see Leicester City's Brendan Rodgers as a leading candidate, but not Frank Lampard or Stephen Gerrard. Frank Lampard and Stephen Gerrard are crap managers. Rodgers is okay. I don't know that he'd take it, though. Rodgers is a pretty staunch Republican um, who grew up in, you know, occupied Northern Ireland. I don't know if Brendan would take the job. Maybe his ego would force him into it, but my guess is that he wouldn't take it. If he does take it, the small amount of respect I have for him, which is a small amount, a very small amount, it would be gone. Uh, Brazil won Carlo Ancelotti to replace Tite as coach following the World Cup exit. That's not a bad shout, actually. Leicester are braced for Arsenal to make a final attempt to sign Yuri Tielemans. A smart club just sells him. He's had a contract in the summer. If you can get 20, 25 million, just take it and move on. Chelsea have opened talks to sign Yusufa Mukoko. No, they haven't. Nicolo Shearer. Paris Saint-Germain are interested in France winger Usman Dembele. You could have signed him for free in the summer. You chose not to. AC Milan are in talks with Rafael Leao about a contract extension and are calm about whether he will sign a new deal. I wouldn't imagine they are. I'd imagine the substances just flowing out of them. Manchester United will activate the contract options for David De Gea, Luke Shaw, Fred, Rashford and Diogo Delo. Leeds are plotting a move for German left-back Philippe Max from PSV Eindhoven. Left-back has been a bit of a problem, though I do think Streak has done well there. Philippe Max is a good player. He is a good player. He was very good for Augsburg for a number of years. So it wouldn't be a bad signing, though he is 29. Uh, and the kind of age profile they've been looking at is younger than that. 
Wilf Zaha looks likely to leave Crystal Palace on a free transfer next summer. That's from Fabrizio Romano. Well said, lad. And nobody would have guessed that. It's only been two years in the making. Sevilla want Isco to leave in the in January, just five months after signing him. What a disaster. Bayern Munich are close to a deal to sign Conrad Lehmer. Everybody's known that for a year. Tottenham are set for fresh co- contract talks with Antonio Conte this coming week. They have got to get him tied down. Uh, former Barcelona and Roma boss Luis Enrique wants to return to a club job after leaving his role as Spain coach. I'm sure there'll be a big club job that comes up between now and May. I think one will come up and I think he'll be close to the top of the list. I, I don't rate him, but he's got he's got a you know a big name and he he won a Champions League with Messi, Neymar and Suarez and Iniesta and Busquets. And apparently that's that makes him a great manager. Um, Ex-Tottenham and Paris Saint-Germain manager Maurizio Pochettino has told friends he's keen on the Chelsea job if it were to come available. It's Football Insider. It's Wayne VC. He knows nothing. He's not getting the inside scoop from Pochettino's friends. So, you know. Amazon are the latest company to be linked with buying Manchester United. None of these companies are buying Manchester United. They're just not. Aston Villa boss Unai Emery is interested in, br- in bringing Dutch winger Arnaut Denjuma and Senegal midfielder Nicholas Jackson from his former club Villarreal to Villa Park. First of all, Nicholas Jackson is not a midfielder, but they would both be good signings. Um, PSV director of football Marcel Brands says that Netherlands winger Cody Gakpo could be sold in the summer, but only for a club record fee. I don't know what their club record sale is. But I'd imagine it's got to be, you know, somewhere in the high 30s, maybe 40 million. And finally, Chelsea target Rafael Leao is unwilling to renew his contract at AC Milan. I don't believe that he is. I think he's quite happy there. But uh, that's it. That's all I've got time for. Take care of yourselves and we'll see you all tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.